Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The idea of final judgment offends many people. They can't conceive that God would send anyone to a fiery hell. Today, a sobering look at what the Bible teaches about the final destiny of all who never believed in Jesus for salvation. From the Moody Church in Chicago, this is Running to Win with Dr. Erwin Lutzer, whose clear teaching helps us make it across the finish line. Today, Erwin Lutzer continues a series on The King is Coming, Preparing to Meet Jesus. In this, the ninth of ten messages, our focus is on that time when the king judges unbelievers. An evangelist made the statement that more people come to saving faith in Christ through preaching the love of God than through preaching the judgment of God. And that might be true, but uh, I need to say that we don't really understand the love of God until we understand the judgment of God. In that sense, the two attributes of God are related. Today's message is a very hard message. It's one that I have been thinking about for weeks, actually, because it is difficult to preach, and for some of you it's going to be very difficult to receive. But I need to begin by saying that um, what God is going to do and the description that is laid out for us in the Scripture is not something that he particularly enjoys doing. The Bible says that he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the judgment happens because of necessity, given the attributes that God has. Let me say also that as I speak, I hope that you will not be judging God. It would be easy to sit back and perhaps fold your hands and to say, uh, you know, that's unfair. Cooper said that there were those who took from God's hand the balance and the rod. They rejudged his justice and became the judge of God. And I warn you not to go there. Perhaps you remember a story that I've probably told you before about me being on a plane and an older woman sitting next to me. And I was witnessing to her, and she was from a very liberal church that didn't believe in hell. And one thing she said is that if there's anything I know for sure, hell doesn't exist. I said, that's interesting, and then I smiled. You always try to work up a smile at a moment like that. (laughs) And I said, you know, you've put me in a really difficult dilemma here. Because on the one hand, I wish that you were right. But on the other hand, uh, Jesus uh, mentioned hell at least 11 times, more than he did heaven. So... You've put me in a predicament because either I have to go with you or I have to go with Jesus on this one. Don't feel too hurt, but I'm going with Jesus, all right? I'm going with Jesus. Newsflash, about this topic, your opinion doesn't count. Remember that? Your opinion doesn't count. So instead of hardening your heart, and many of you are going to be tempted to do that and to say, how could God do that? Instead of hardening your heart, why don't you pray right now and ask God to soften it? Why don't you open your heart to what God may have to say? Because I have no doubt that for some of you, this is your moment to believe on Jesus. And you say, well, how do I know whether or not I'm in that number? And that is, if you have no assurance that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, 
I'm particularly talking to you. Though, of course, I'm talking to all of us. Well, the topic comes up in the book of Revelation, which you can turn to. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And uh, if you have a Bible like mine, it's probably on page 1040 and 1041. I'm going to read these five verses, and then we're going to go through the text, basically, almost phrase by phrase, and then we'll see what there is to learn and what God has to teach us. Chapter 20 of Revelation, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and the sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the judgment, the mother of all judgments. This is the judgment that is frightening and, yes, chilling. Well, let's move through the text. First of all, we begin with the one who is seated on the throne. You'll notice he says, I saw a great white throne. The throne is great because it is majestic. This is the throne of God. This is the throne indeed that is forever, the throne that exists from all of eternity. God is on this throne. And it's a white throne, absolute holiness, absolute Purity. No one able to tweak things to make them look better. No possibility of bribery because we are now in the presence of the sovereign judge who will do justly and do what is right. It is a pure and holy throne. And him who sat on it and who's sitting on it. Well, the Bible in Revelation speaks about the throne of God and of the Lamb, but here, of course, we know it is the Lamb. We know it's Jesus. Because in John 5, Jesus said, The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And Paul said in the book of Acts in Athens, he says, God has appointed a day by which he will judge the world by one man, that is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is on that throne. The meek and mild Jesus that people love at Christmas, the little baby that you can take out at Christmas and then tuck away for the rest of the year and pull him like a book off a shelf and, and be there again next year, that's this little baby. The Redeemer has become the judge. You say, well, where is this throne? You'll notice that the text says, that everything fled away from his presence and there was found no place for them. It was found no place for this throne. Now we have to back off and remember the rest of the series that we've had this far. You remember last time I spoke to you about the millennial kingdom, how Jesus rules, and then at the end of that kingdom he delivers it to the Father, the Bible says, and that transitions into the eternal kingdom. And it's during this period of time of transition that the scripture is fulfilled 
that the world and all of its works shall be burned up. Scholars differ as to whether or not God is going to annihilate the present universe entirely and uh, create a new one out of nothing, or whether or not the earth is going to be recreated. But one thing is sure, it's going to be burned with fire. And during this transition period, when people are standing before the great throne, there will be nothing to see except the throne. No galaxy is in sight. And they are all standing there with a fear. If you think that people fear judgment today when they are being tried, Multiply that by about a hundred because they have a good inkling as to what it is that is in store for them. And then we have the defendants. Not sure that I should call them that because this isn't exactly the same kind of trial that you'd find on earth. But it says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Where did they come from? Well, later on in the text, you'll notice it says that the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up their dead. They're there because God summons them from the entire world, from the beginning of time. All unbelievers are summoned to this judgment. You know, it was said in ancient times that if you died of the sea, if you were drowned, and of course probably the sharks would eat you, Or if you were cremated and your ashes were sprinkled on the sea, not even the gods could ever retrieve you for an afterlife. It was sort of an insurance that uh, once you died that way, you are secure from any final judgment. God takes those who are in the sea and calls them forth. These dead come from tombs long ago forgotten. They come from earthquakes where bodies have been destroyed and turned into dust. God calls them forth from coffins that were lined beautifully with satin, as well as those who have died in horrendous conditions because of hunger and because of poverty. They are all called forth. One writer said, God knows every speck of human dust and every strand of DNA And he calls it forth from deserts, caves, jungles, seas, tombs, ghettos, and palaces. And they are all there. Their bodies have been resurrected. Judgment day has come. And then what does it say? Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. Well, for that we need a little bit of review again, don't we? You remember in the first message in this series I preached how that when the rapture comes... Christians go up because today when a believer dies, their body is put into the grave, and yet their souls are in heaven. And so what happens is they are raised from the dead and they are joined with their souls. The people in heaven today are in some sense incomplete, separate topic, but they are some, in some sense incomplete, and they are joined together to become fully the human beings they were here on earth with, of course, some radical changes in their bodies and their souls. My dear friend, when I think about what the Bible predicts is yet to happen, it is very sobering, isn't it? Especially as we speak about judgment, as we talk about issues of heaven and hell, it is so important for us to respond to God, to believe on Christ. I'm holding in my hands a book entitled The Vanishing Power of Death. The subtitle is conquering your greatest fear. Now, to be honest, all of us, as we anticipate our death, there is fear, there is uncertainty in this sense 
that we don't know exactly what it is like on the other side, but through faith in Christ, we can die with confidence, even as Jesus did when he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. We make this resource available to you, and especially as we're anticipating Easter, we make this resource available to you so that you might have more confidence as you anticipate life's greatest challenge, and of course, a challenge that will face us all, but also so that you might be better prepared to help those who have lost loved ones. In the book, we deal with issues that have to do with doubt how Jesus Christ also welcomes his sheep home. All of these things are discussed in the book, The Vanishing Power of Death. For a gift of any amount, it can be yours. We believe it'll be a great blessing and a great help and an encouragement, even as we think about our own demise and the coming of eternity. That was Erwin Lutzer introducing The King Judges Unbelievers, the ninth in a ten-part series on The King is Coming. Many people find the idea of hell repugnant, but the Bible teaches about an ultimate lake of fire. Next time, the basis of judgment for those who never heard the gospel and the basis for those who did. The Vanishing Power of Death is a book by Pastor Lutzer. We'd like to send it as a thank you for your gift of any amount to support Running to Win. Just call us at 1-800-215-5001. That's 1-800-215-5001. Online, go to OfferRTW.com or write to Running to Win Moody Church, 1635 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60614. This is Dave McAllister. Running to Win is a ministry of the Moody Church.